You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Right now, here he is after a big, long weekend. He's probably got his eyes taped open, and he's uh, not allowed to blink because he'll fall asleep. Mr. and Dr. History. Good morning, Zev. How are you doing this morning? Not bad. You know you get used to having some time off, and then you kind of get the feeling like, gee, wouldn't that be nice to be retired? kind of starts looking that way, doesn't it? No, sometimes, but you know something? I love to work. I do. I get up at about quarter to four in the morning, and I got to tell you this real short story. We were at a roping this weekend, and uh, we had to get up early in the morning and move to another location with our horses, and the people that were right around me, they cursed me and said evil things about me because of the earliness of the hour with which I started making noise. <laughs> I can't imagine you causing that. Uh, I <laughs> What's going on in your world today? Well, I just got back from Coeur d'Alene visiting my daughter up there and uh, had a great visit up there. Hit a couple of golf courses and uh, uh-huh. drove home yesterday. Uh, went up to Lake Ponderay. Oh, I love and, that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been up there. Beautiful, beautiful country. Many, many times. As a matter of fact, uh, I just love to sit over on one of the quiet areas and just look at that lake, look at the water, look at the surrounding uh, view, and you could fall in love with that area real easy. Yes. I, uh, whenever I go to these places, I'm always looking for history, of course. And uh, I'm going to do a story sometime in the next couple of weeks about something I learned up there. And I don't know if you or any of our listeners have ever heard of a guy named David Thompson. Mm, no, I don't think I have. No. Well, he actually is right up there with Lewis and Clark. Really? I, yeah. I mean, this guy was amazing, and I have never heard of him before. But as far as exploration and in the early early 1800s, he did some amazing things up there and and uh, stayed there on uh, Lake Ponderay. It was one of his places that he stayed. Uh, but anyway, I've never heard of this guy. Well, he didn't uh, have a very good PR agent. He didn't. <laughs> but he did some amazing things as far as discovery in this whole Northwest. So I'm going to do a story about him sometime. All right. Well, what have we got cooking on the stove today? Today, I'm going to talk about a western town that is so unlike any other western town you've ever heard about. It is so untypical of the typical western towns, and that's what I'm going to talk about. A place called Runnymede, Kansas. Runnymede, Kansas? Runnymede, Kansas. And if that has an English tone to it, you'll see why here in a minute. Okay. Basically, uh, Runnymede, Kansas right now is pretty much a collection of rundown houses, outbuildings, uh, it's uh, in Harper County, about 40 miles southwest of Wichita. Uh, the town isn't much to look at. In fact, uh, the federal census taker in 1950, it had four residents. So in 1960, he didn't even bother to stop. <laughs> so, but let, we'll go back to the beginning, okay? Okay. Uh, Running Mead was the setting about 70 or 80 years or 100 years ago for one of the most daring get-rich-quick schemes in the history of the West. 
Uh, it was a, an operation aimed at the richest titled families of England. Now, what's more remarkable is that this scheme actually worked. Now, Old Runnymede, which stood a couple of miles away from actually the present settlement uh, in the middle of a wheat field right now, wasn't much for size. Uh, at the most, it probably had 200 people at its peak, and it didn't last long, not more than four years at the most. But while it lasted, Old Runnymede was probably the drinkingest college in the history of higher education. Really? Yeah. Now, wait a minute. Let's define this a little bit. The drinkingest college. Yes. You're talking about adult beverages. Uh, yes. Ah, where was that on my list of options besides the University of Wisconsin? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, I had never heard of this. But, and college might seem a bit strange uh, of a word to use to describe this frontier settlement in Kansas in the 1800s. But a college it was, and it was attended by the sons of England's titled families, the gentry, the, uh, you know, the uppity-ups, you know. Yeah, the fox hunters. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I'll get to that, actually. Um, and, but uh, they wanted to learn the mysteries of the American farming methods and cattle ranching techniques. Mm. So these sons of these uh, uh, uppity-up uh, people in England, uh, this was also an academy for uh, postgraduate instruction in horse racing, riding to the hounds, and, and drinking. Hi-ho, the fox! Yes, <laughs> you're right on the right track here, Zeb. <laughs> Uh, this colony, we're going to call it a colony, owed its origin to a guy named Kernley, who was an Irishman. Well, he heard about the bargains in Kansas as far as ground, so he hurried up and he, uh, uh, for a mere $2,500, about a buck fifty an acre, he bought about three square miles of this fine land um, there north of Harper. But uh, most land speculators were content to hold their property uh, for a few years, waiting for higher prices. But this Turnley guy, he wanted to do something more. He decided to work his land, not with hired cowhands, but with the sons of English millionaires. Oh, I see. So here we go. He was quite a businessman, this Turnley. So settlers began arriving in Runnymede in about 1887, but uh, the community's growth as an experimental project got its biggest boost after a uh, modest notice in the London Times. And the ad has described a vast western paradise, timbered and well-watered, uh, game, range of stock with fine-blooded cattle. And the owner of this magnificent ranch, ranch is Mr. Turnley of Runnymede, Kansas, was willing to accept a limited number of qualified young gentlemen for instruction in the art and science of cattle ranching. Yes, pimple chop. <laughs> yes, the cost would be only five hundred dollars a year, and so he figured if only a couple of guys signed up, he'd pretty much get his money back. So anyway, Runny Mead had three elements of great appeal for the parents of these young men. It had a fee high enough to guarantee that no riffraff would be admitted. You know, the lower lowers, I guess. Uh, uh, location in a state already famous for its prohibition laws. Mm -hmm. And the name of Runnymede, which in England was a place where King John signed the Magna Carta. Oh, my. So if ever there was a name uh, calculated to appeal to the higher-ups, uh, higher-born Englishman, Runnymede was it. Oh. Well, Basically, the suckers took the bait, <laughs> and in May of 1888, a substantial group of colonists set forth from England for the well-known ranching center of Runnymede, Kansas. Oh, boy. 
Now, uh, I've been to England. I lived there for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, the fish and chips over there is not quite like the fat back and beans that they got when they got over here to, to, to Kansas. Pardon me. Do you uh, have any gray poupon? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, by the end of 1889, buildings covered seven city blocks. There were houses that were built on the English style, you know, with neat hedges and lawns and just kind of a mini England, I guess, if you want to call it. But uh, of more interest to the Youngbloods was the municipal racetrack mm -hmm. and a steeplechase course laid out on the prairie at the edge of town. Mm -hmm. Now, the town really lacked only one essential of gracious living, and that was a wide-open saloon. You see, Kansas uh, had been saddled with prohibition as early as 1880, and so, but this is what appealed to the parents, because it was a real selling point, because there were no saloons. And uh, so these parents were footing the bill. They didn't want the boys coming over here and drinking. No, absolutely so not. No liquor was sold in Runnymede. Hmm. But just a few miles south of there was a little town called Harper. Uh-oh. And it uh, was a well-worn path between Runnymede and Harper for these uh, young men. How, how, uh, how far was it in miles? Um... You know, I'm thinking it's only like 20 miles or something like that. 20 miles. Hmm. Yeah, so not very far, considering on horseback, you know, and and coming back, you probably didn't even notice how far you'd gone. I say, old chap, would you rather lather your horse? <laughs> yeah. So the men, the, the, the young men basically had the best of everything they wanted. Uh-huh. Well, you know, when these boys first came over, they... Uh, they wanted to be these cowboys, so they bought these extravagant Western costumes, these big old hairy shaps, you know, that you've seen, the Stetsons and the gunfighters' battle gear. But, oh, yeah. But basically, the local cowboys laughed at them so bad they pretty well quit wearing that, their, those outfits. So, but, you know, you talked about the, fo the fox hunts. Well, uh, foxhounds and fine Irish hunter horses were imported for the Runnymede uh, hunt. Are you serious? Slightly handicapped by the fact that they didn't have any foxes. Uh-oh. Oh. Use a coyote. So, yeah. So, and, uh, so the huntsmen soon settled on something a little different, and you may have guessed already, coyotes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that was the best substitute for foxes, and so uh, the little foxhounds had uh, little chance of catching a coyote, and but the chase was the main thing, and now, if you can picture this across the western frontier, here's these Englishmen on their fine horses attired in pink coats, uh, white breeches, uh, with a huntmaster hunt sounding his horn, and uh, they went at it as enthusiastically as they ever had in England uh, to the amusement of the local cowboys and the local coyotes probably as well. I, I bet you that really, honestly, did they realize at all how absolutely out of place they looked? <laughs> you know, I can only imagine, you know. Again, these were the kind of the uppity-ups of England, and so they probably thought they just looked dandy. Oh. The cowboys probably did, too. Yeah, I'll bet that was a Kodak moment. <laughs> I'll bet that was. Well, you know, the, the kind of a neat thing about this is these English horses, you know, they attracted kind of the admiration of the cowboys in the area, and the ranchers and their men admitted that these thoroughbreds were pretty nice-looking animals, but they refused to believe that they could match the tough little western horses uh, for performance. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the little cow horses and their riders didn't have a chance against the big thoroughbreds and their elegant gentleman jockeys. Oh, yes. 
yeah. Elegant, so, so yes. So Englishmen, they rode well, uh, though in a manner that uh, struck the cowboys as, as I'm going to quote here, as rather prissy. <laughs> <laughs> There's another word that comes to mind, but I'm on my own radio <laughs> program, so we won't use that. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, can you imagine these cowboys watching these guys? I, just, I can just imagine the... <laughs> terminology that was used. Oh, yeah, but you, we don't want to comment on that. <laughs> no, no. So, anyway, despite all this joking, actually, the Runny Mead colonists uh, generally and genuinely enjoyed the company of these uninhibited cowboys. And they had a lot of fun going back and forth. And, you know, when winners of a horse race would win, they'd treat everybody to drinks down at Harper. And, hmm. and in fact, one colonist guy, he inherited an income of about 5,000 pounds a year, which back then would have been about twelve thousand dollars yeah. a year and so he imported an entire freight car load of whiskey from chicago and drinks were welcome to everybody in harper in harper yeah, yeah. so but colony's uh, biggest problem however soon became boredom i mean the englishmen were trying to anything for a little fun and activity so uh there's a guy named patty shea and he was regarded as the best bare-knuckle heavyweight champ of Kansas. I've heard about this guy. Have you? Yeah. Okay. okay, well, he was brought down from Wichita for a match against one of the colonists who had been an amateur boxer in England. Mm -hmm. So, now I picture this. Here's this uh, uh, champion against this Englishman. Um, and in, the Englishman, in kind of the grand tradition of his, of his race, was a what you'd call a fancy boxer, but kind of a powder puff hitter. Oh, yeah. And so during the first round, he danced around his opponent and he peppered him with a few jabs and a few graceful right crosses. And this Patty Shea, he threw a few punches, uh, but that was it. Well, the bell for the second round uh, sounded, and Patty strode to the middle of the ring, cocked back his right arm, and when the Englishman started waltzing within range, he smacked him squarely in the mouth and just knocked the daylights out of him. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this Englishman, he got up, and he was spitting blood and teeth, and, and he asked Patty, so asked for a demonstration of how he did that. Well, Patty Shea obliged. He kind of pulled the punch, but he still floored the Brit again. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, In other words, the Brit wasn't that smart. <laughs> he wasn't, you know. If you got hit that bad one, why would you say, hey, show me how you yeah, did that? Yeah, show me how you did that. I want an instant replay. Yep, yeah, same I, thing. I, I don't think you really hit me that hard, you know. <laughs> Just spitting blood and teeth, you know. But uh, anyway... Uh, the Britain was was a good sport. He took out a watch and a lot of cash, and he uh, handed it to to Shea, uh, and uh, and he said, "You're a blooming good lad." You're a blooming good lad. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, and that was probably putting it nice. I love uh, the colorful speech that they had. You're a blooming good lad. <laughs> you knocked every one of my teeth out. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine what another cowboy would have said? Oh yeah, but we won't go there. We won't go there either. No. Anyway, well, you know, in spite of all this amusement, some work was actually done. They actually did learn a little bit about cattle ranching, and uh, although uh, the way the students went about doing this learning kind of made you wonder a little bit. Uh, in fact, one day a, a couple of the guys were on their way uh, to Runnymede with a load of hay uh, on a wagon. Mm -hmm. And they stopped in Harper to imbibe in a little, uh, you know, to wash the dust from their throats. And uh, anyway, a few miles out of town, they ran into some of their other buddies that were homeward bound, and they decided they wanted to have a race. 
So uh, the guys on the wagon took off, and the guys on the horses took off, and it didn't take long before the wagon tipped over and dumped all the hay out on the road. And, you know, rather than reload the hay, I mean, that was too much work. They just burned it. They burned the hay? Yeah, they just lit it on fire. Hmm. <laughs> so, anyway... Uh, they, I, like I say, they weren't exactly the the guys you'd want to have out on your ranch too much, you know. It sounds like the Chamber of Commerce of Harper at that particular time was doing a landfall business. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, they were doing great. They yeah. loved it. You know? yeah. I mean, all these English boys over there and plenty of money. How many uh, were there? Did they ever have a, a count of how many of these you know, blue buds were over there? $500 a pop. You know, this guy obviously got his $2,500 back in a hurry oh yeah yeah so but anyway uh there were several things that combined to kill running mead and one of them was lack of uh female companionship hmm. there was obviously way too many guys and there was girls i knew sooner or later you'd uh, get there <laughs> what's that i knew sooner or later you'd touch on this <laughs> well and and the article that i got this from says that it's not because the girls were ugly they were there were some nice looking girls but uh these running mead guys were uh the colonists they were again the uppity ups and you just didn't marry a commoner yeah i mean come I mean, on you know, how could you wouldn't... possibly marry a commoner my goodness yeah. what's the matter with you have you no class <laughs> you wouldn't stoop to that no <laughs> so but anyway the englishmen they were pretty much getting bored with their life in the wild west it really wasn't any longer wild and so anyway british investment in ranches was falling off most of the colonists realized it would never become ranchers anyway uh, i mean you know it's just probably a way to get away from the parents but uh, anyway by the end of 1892 it was all over the colonists were gone and so was this mr turnley he went back to ireland with a pretty good chunk of cash and a few of the buildings were moved to a new running mead uh, a little farther away from this place and Farmers pretty much came in and scavenged what was left of the lumber and the brick. And mm. Anyway, eventually the new owner plowed the debris under, and now it's a wheat field out there in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, but now wait a minute. You haven't told us the rest of the story. What happened to these Englishmen that were so snobby and they went back home? I mean, did they all end up just drunks living on the street, or what did they do? Well, these, these keep in mind, these guys were just looking for adventure, huh. okay? So they really, you know, making money really wasn't an object. Yeah. So what they did is some of them went away to the gold strikes in South Africa. Some went over to Colorado and Canada. And, uh, you know, they just went wherever there was some excitement. Yeah. I mean, like I say, money was not an object, so they could go anywhere and they could just tell their parents, yeah, I'm going to South Africa to look for gold. And the parents just footed the bill. I guess they did that till they got tired and went home and married... Uh, some royalty and lived forever on their estate. Yeah, but you did say on uh, previous programs that many, many wealthy individuals from England did get in the cattle business, and one in particular, and I can't think of his name right now, uh, was a huge land baron around the Cheyenne area, Cheyenne, Wyoming, and had was one that of the big... King? That wasn't King. No, no, a King was in Texas. But uh, the, the uh, land baron I'm thinking about was part of the Lincoln County Wars, I th not the Lincoln County, but the uh, the one that Tom Horn was involved in in Wyoming, and one of the landowners was a very wealthy Englishman that had come over here. 
you know, that all sounds familiar, and I can't think of the name. I can't either. Uh, but there was also, over in the Owyhee area, uh, and I think he was British too, but uh, uh, one of the largest cattle ranches in the world at one time was over in that Owyhee area. Yeah. And I, and I can't remember his name either, but... Uh, so you're, a, you're saying the perpetration of the idea that the Brits were a little snobby is true, right? If you've ever been over there, and I, like I say, I lived there for a couple of years, and uh, a lot of really great people, really good people, uh, but, uh, you know, the people that are uh, a little more commoners, they assume that all Americans are rich, loud and and snobby oh. they think we're rich so they got us pegged right to a t huh <laughs> they do and i've got to admit there's some americans that are a little loud and and obnoxious well to the but, brits uh, that i have met and the ones that think they're just a cut above the rest of us all i can say is don't go outside during a rainstorm with your nose turned up because you'll drown yeah well see we speak english but uh, they speak queen's english oh yes yes a unless you're a cockney you know yeah. and live in london and unless i'm a what uh, you know uh yeah oh. i mean the cockneys oh. you have a hard time understanding those guys i see well, you did it again, Dr. History. First of all, you made us all hate the British. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, tally ho, the fox, Dr. History, is on the ride again. In this case, tally ho, the coyote. Oh, yeah. Or you know how the cowboys announced the fox on, didn't you? Well, I can't say that on the air. Never mind. We, I'll have to talk to you about that at another time. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Give me a maple bar and I'll tell you. Uh, I, I, I'm looking for them. Okay. <laughs> what are we going to talk about next week? Well, if I can get some information together about this David Thompson uh, and his exploration of the Northwest, I'd like to talk a little bit about that and uh, Lake Ponderay, uh, where he actually had a place where he stayed okay. and settled in there. Uh, I think it's called Salish or something like that. I'll, I'll have to look it up. All but, right, well, uh, you did it again. Uh, outstanding story about the Brits, and now I can see that this afternoon at 3 o'clock they're going to sever relationships with the United States. <laughs> have a good day, <laughs> well, Doc. Kind of a good story. I mean, it was. It was always fun with Kansas, you. I mean, you, it's not quite like Dodge City or something. But. Well, yeah, and they, they helped uh, the town of Harper uh, stay very, very, very wet. <laughs> Very wealthy. Yeah, God bless you. Have a good day. You have a good day. Thank you. Bye. Dr. History, and that is the man right there. He is absolutely the best. Dr. Ken Turner, we appreciate him.